Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining this uh, webinar held by xapa.org. Um, it's as uh, always um, kind of a monthly webinar, which is part of our advocacy uh, activities at uh, XAPA. Today, uh, we will focus on circular economy and uh, we'll uh, make sure that um, for all of you, we start with just a few practicalities to make the most of this webinar together. So, um, this is uh, a webinar when you can, of course, uh, change your name if you want. So when you ask questions, we know who you are. Um, you're automatically muted. That's a way to maximize uh, the quality of the, the discussion for everyone. Um, and um, we don't use videos um, in this webinar, uh, just to kind of maximize also the, the kind of uh, energy footprint of uh, this uh, discussion together, which uh, will be uploaded and accessible for free on the, our website xapa.org on the publication section together with all the webinars that uh, are registered with um, a broad community of uh, people sharing perspectives, advancing sustainability and the role of companies and investors to move faster on the broad sustainability agenda. Uh, you can, of course, feel free to share and invite colleagues or people you think uh, can find that uh, content valuable. Um, and if you use the social media, please include at xapa.org so we can track and the participants can all track um, those um, discussions and comments you may want to share with your um, followers. Last, uh, we will make sure at the far end of this uh, webinar to display a short poll. Um, it's just three questions and uh, please take the time to respond um, as this is going to uh, help us improve uh, the quality of um, those discussions as we really want to make sure that you really make the most of the time that you're uh, spending with us. So just moving on um, to the core of the discussion. Um, Today, we will be talking about circular economy and we will focus on circular fibers and textile industry. And more precisely, um, interesting solutions, concrete solutions and initiatives um, shared by what we are doing at uh, XAPA, but most importantly, what our um, interveners will come and share um, from their own perspective um, to uh, 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 advance and accelerate uh, sustainability and circularity. My name is Farid, I'm uh, working for exapa.org. Uh, I've been uh, working for more than 20 years on uh, those issues of sustainability. Mostly um, uh, when it comes to the conversation, there's a broad number of companies in the apparel, mills, sundry and luxury uh, segments. Um, and clearly my ambition, uh, which is shared by uh, everyone at uh, xapa.org and our uh, ecosystem is that we really want to use the time of this webinar, learning from our own expertise, experience, what we know about what has been done to date to really change uh, the, um, the pace of circular economy and explore anything that can make it much more at the scale of what's needed uh, to respond to the pressure um, that our planet is, uh, is, is, is witnessing. So I'm, I'm really exploring that from that perspective. A brief introduction about where we are at XAPA. So we are an organization which combines um, three activities to serve that uh, agenda of accelerating transformation of investors and companies to better address uh, the big uh, sustainability issues um, by 2030. 
um, our four priorities are to work on human rights, inclusive growth, uh, climate change, and circular economy. Um, and we serve those activities through three uh, pillars. One is consulting. Um, typically on circular economy, we work and we frame uh, strategic priorities uh, with, uh, with companies and industries, but also with investors. Uh, we lead stakeholder engagement activities and work on internal alignment, uh, circular economy being a topic which requires to think very closely and carefully about how to align quality, production, cost, finance, multiple aspects. So we work on those aspects. Um, at the core of our activities, we are uh, an organization which uh, combine digital, um, financial, sustainability, and other expertises to um, design um, programs enabling to change the scale of um, a circular economy and the other topics I was mentioning at the beginning. For example, we've invested in developing and deploying application, deploying uh, solutions for traceability and uh, large-scale um, technical training of um, workers and potentially smallholders that we can find in the, the fiber uh, supply chain. Um, and that's something that enable to uh, ensure uh, that over time, uh, the supply chain is at the level of um, the expectations from a circular economy perspective. We also uh, structure um, a fund um, enabling a company to expand across operations and uh, strategic suppliers on some circular economy programs. But we do, of course, the same on, for example, climate. And we're a doctor organization. If you browse our website, you will see that very quickly. Uh, and in that sense, we are um, uh, 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 leading by our activities with a purpose. We want to share, we are open source. Um, and our job is clearly to uh, inspire others and uh, provide um, solutions. So in that sense, uh, we advocate and um, we're pretty active in the space and this webinar is part of those activities. It's all open source and um, all uh, accessible together with briefing papers and other documents uh, to hopefully uh, help you all uh, understand and move faster on those um, pressing topics such as circularity. We operate with a network uh, which um, enables us to typically when we work uh, in the COVID environment to conduct some assessment or review, for example, of suppliers and partners across the world without having to travel. Um, we have a core network of people who can help in that sense across the, across the globe and um, uh, partners who help to bring some complementary um, uh, expertises we don't necessarily have in-house. Typically when we structure some fund, we need to know very closely the local regulatory environments, um, which we do with local partners in that space anywhere. What can incentivize, for example, circularity in um, Malaysia is different from what you can find in, uh, in Brazil. Uh, we know how to operate in that space and tailor that, the, those kind of programs. Um, we also tap into some uh, partners, for example, on uh, playing a lot with uh, data uh, to, uh, in, to, to uh, activate some data science in the kind of um, program that uh, we, we develop. And uh, that's something that is coming from some of our uh, strategic partners. Um, we have been um, uh, uh, addressing the, the, the topic of circularity across uh, a good number of, uh, of, um, of activities and uh, publications. Um, I just want to name uh, one that is important to us, our Towards 2030 report, um, which framed what the outcome of our research uh, that we published a year ago, um, and that's been uh, really aligned with um, the implications of COVID, which has amplified a lot of the priority issues we identified ourselves. 
um, through this report, which is accessible um, for free on our website and the publication section. Uh, and um, it's, um, uh, it clearly defines uh, six priorities for the decade, uh, one of them being clearly a circular economy. Um, and that is coming at a moment when this webinar is held today, when um, I've been a part of some uh, World Economic Forum conversation today and tomorrow, and uh, where again, uh, it is very clear uh, that um, a circular economy is part of what really needs to be um, to improve in them for the years to come. And it is set to create uh, 700,000 uh, jobs by 2014 and savings of up to uh, 200 billion uh, those, uh, on an annual basis which is very interesting at the time when uh, the pandemic has shown um, that uh, <laughs> there is potentially for some cash shortage uh, needs to identify savings and um, needs to uh, redesign uh, supply chain uh, to better uh, localize uh, some uh, strategic activities uh, for sourcing and components, for example, as much as address some of the expectations from, um, from consumers and regulators. So moving to the core of our uh, uh, conversation, um, in our assessment, uh, circular economy can improve and change scale if five, uh, I would say, uh, activities uh, or levers are activated. Um, there are two, le two levers that I can briefly introduce and three levers, which we are going to explore much more in detail with our three interveners. Two levers are coming from um, consumer acceptance of solutions which are not circular by essence or increasingly are asking for more circularity in what they are purchasing. Uh, that's one lever. So the way uh, brands are able to adapt to that acceptability and customer demand. And the second lever is coming from the regulatory pressure uh, that might uh, increasingly force a couple of business models to change and adapt. But there are three additional levers which we are going to explore much more in details. One is the capacity to build alignment. If you want to develop some circular economy, you need to make sure that across a chain or in a community, people speak the same language, basically. That is something that we are going to explore notably with uh, the development of guidelines. It's a good and a very strategic uh, initiative enabling people to share the same understanding of what is expected uh, for circularity to change scale. Another aspect is funding. Um, what's been frustrating to me in my experience on circularity has been too much pilots and not enough activities at scale. And that connects very quickly to the question of how you fund um, or get the right resources to ensure that uh, a circular economy or circularity solutions can change scale. So funding is clearly another level. And another one that is extremely important, of course, is to organize a kind of market place or market um, ecosystem, uh, which we are going to explore also um, in conversation with our interveners. And the way we maximize could be in a country, could be in a region, it can be, um, it can be in, a, in a specific industry or supply chain, whatever angle we take, at the end of the day, it's that capacity to uh, ensure that the whole ecosystem is um, emulated and working together. We will explore all those aspects. And just very briefly, um, I will walk through the two levers that we are not going to discuss in detail for the time of the webinar today. The number one 
um, that I was talking about is uh, the one that is uh, coming with uh, acceptability and consumer demand. I will just focus uh, on the, the most recent um, changes that we, we, we have noticed ourselves through the recent well, the ongoing pandemic. And uh, where clearly we can see that there is a growing expectation from consumers to explore purpose and to uh, uh, match or uh, make sure that they, their purchasing activities are increasingly aligned with some uh, pressures coming from the kind of vulnerability they are suffering from with the pandemic, asking them for more local products or products that are more sustainable, sort of, or more reused. There are multiple um, components in the space. It's pretty complex. Um, but at the end of the day, we can clearly see, according to a good number of studies, that there is a growing demand, which at the end of the day implies that for many apparel companies, it is increasingly important to serve a purpose and to increase the circularity component of what is brought to the consumer. Another aspect that we will not discuss much more in detail for the, the time of the webinar today is of course uh, the growing uh, regulatory pressure. Uh, in our experience, this um, uh, pressure has actually has been there and increasingly there for the past 40 years, 50 years, um, but clearly the, 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 it has grown exponentially, um, asking for more um, recyclability in the past and tax incentives, um, notably, for example, uh, uh, in Europe, in Japan, um, but now moving to next level where they're clearly, um, for example, a growing up ban on multiple uh, disposable plastics um, that we can see in Europe. Um, as just like an, a random example. Uh, so apparel companies are under very uh, strong pressure including to have to be simply compliant uh, in terms of um, the circularity of the, the fibers uh, that um, they are uh, purchasing and, um, and processing. Now let's move to um, much more of the conversation uh, with uh, the contribution of our first panelist, uh, Sasha. And I will ask Sasha then to share um, what I think I would just frame that as a brief introductory word. I think for me, the core value is uh, alignment. And uh, of course, uh, Sasha will certainly add to that and uh, share a perspective. So Sasha, your turn. Hi, Farid. Thank you so much. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here on this webinar and have an opportunity to speak to all of your network about uh, what we're doing at Fashion Positive and um, how we are trying to drive more clarity and collaboration across the textile industry um, for circular fibers. So if you can go to the next slide. Um, we are a group of brands and we also have a group of innovators and other uh, NGOs and like-minded organizations that we work with uh, 
in order to drive the vision, definition, and implementation of safe and circular materials. Um, Fashion Positive came out of the Cradle to Cradle Innovation Institute and has had a long history. We started actually in 2014 on these issues, working with um, within Cradle to Cradle, but also with um, brands looking to improve the inputs and circularity all the way down to the fiber development. And last year, we actually transitioned and became our own project and affiliated in partnership with Textile Exchange because of the very um, focused effort on fibers and materials in the textile industry and how we can work together in a broader network to not only look at how fibers are being developed and to advance circular fiber, but also in terms of how do we harness the work that's taking place across the industry beyond kind of certification, cradle to cradle certification uh, in and of itself, but also harness all of the other things that are moving the industry towards systems change for circularity. So over this last year, we um, really were kind of in startup mode to redefine what this next era of circularity needs given that we've had five years of learning. And first, these are our goals, one, two, three. Um, and these actually didn't change. It's just that the, now the system is moving quite quickly now that there's a lot more knowledge around circularity and there's a lot more levers that we can pull. So first, we are continuing to define and educate the industry on the term circular materials, which we'll talk about today. This is what we'll focus on today are the guidelines that we released um, in Q3 last year. Secondly, enabling the development of more circular high volume materials and accelerating the use of those materials. So Fashion Positive really focuses not on niche materials or those that are um, really in early stage development, but rather those that have been tested are part of um, already funding streams and are ready to take that next step into uh, scalability. So the focus of two and three is really around those increasing the um, supply chain connections and also increasing the amount of investment going to actually scale these materials. So if we go to the next slide, um, what we worked on over the last really two years is bringing together a lot of the bodies within the industry that are either certifying um, or have some kind of standards around uh, clean fiber development and worked on how do we provide more clarity and guidance to the brands in particular and the innovators who are developing new materials around what would enable a clean supply chain throughout the whole cycle so that when we do think about durability, when we do start to think about really at what point do we have end of life and then what happens when we recycle it into the system, how do we know that we are engendering a process that is clean, safe, safe for workers, and also will um, drive the system change needed to keep those materials and the value in the system. And so you'll see that we worked with all of these um, bodies in order to develop these guidelines and we released them in August, but really launched them in September. So if we go to the next slide, we can talk a little bit about what is covered in the guidelines and I will provide a little bit of um, detail in later slides, but really I would just have 
you go to the website fashionpositive.org and download them. They're actually very simple. We purposely kept them simple with an idea that we are trying to really create the connection points for um, the system to start transitioning and really focus on continuous improvement. So really starting somewhere um, and harnessing some of the work that's already taken place to really get the systems in place. So there's actually five components, but we're done with four of them. And the four areas that we're focused on is of course, feedstock, where is the material coming from and to um, harness more recycled material. So we partner of course, still with Cradle to Cradle as well as Ellen MacArthur Foundation and aligned these guidance to um, the vision and what Ellen MacArthur has put out, particularly in Jean's redesign. And we, we differ in one way, which Ellen MacArthur Foundation and us kind of worked a long time on aligning. And that is Fashion Positive's really trying to kind of cut into the mountain, <laughs> the um, ability for more recycled product to get into the system and to start churning this wheel. So the one area that we um, focus on is that the guideline really does push for including recycled content, whereas Ellen MacArthur Foundation does allow for 100% organic um, to still be considered circular. We, we differ in just that one area because we're very focused on trying to cut into the system this ability to really cycle through. So we have feedstock, we discuss the chemistry, the water, and we'll get into these a little bit deeper, deeper and then um, energy and really renewable energy. So if we go to the next slide. Um, yes, and just a quick question coming my way, any fiber that you had uh, top of mind as you were working on the development of those guidelines, um, just to be concrete with mm -hmm. an example. Um, yes. That is a great question. Um, so currently the theory of change when, when the group first started to work on this, the group of brands as well as Creative Co and, and all the other um, organizations um, was that we were focusing on the cellulosic and protein fibers. And the idea was that we would work on a single fiber um, definition in order to try to drive more singular fibers so that there wasn't mixing of fibers and that we can start to signal to the industry that we need to start thinking long-term about how we will disassemble and then be able to recycle back into the system these materials. Since this um, guideline has been developed, there's two things. One is that we were asked by on the Carter Foundation to um, start with some, if, if we could take up the fabric level guidelines. And through that discussion, um, what has come out and, and because the, the industry is moving so quickly is that we no longer can just try to push for single fiber definitions. In order to get to the fabric level, we're gonna to have to deal with the fact that one, there's other materials that go into fabric development, but then two, there's more and more innovation taking place that are mixing different kinds of recycled inputs. So for instance, a man-made cellulosic or a recycled cotton being mixed with a fiber that comes from recycled plastics in order to be combined into a yarn. Um, so we're going to now take on an, this year what does circular synthetics look like? 
this guideline that we're talking to right now is specifically focused on protein and cellulosic fibers. So cotton, hemp, um, as well as the man-made cellulosic. So anything coming from wood pulp and other sources. Um, so that's the feedstock we're talking about in this particular guidance is, is the natural materials and how we start to use these natural materials in the system and, and clean the system itself, as well as um, how we get these cycle fibers back into the system. So great question. So that's the first uh, feedstock. Chemistry, we of course um, partner with CDHC and defined um, three requirements around um, the input chemistry and um, this is where we're focused also on within this particular guidance on uh, non-petroleum feedstock. So uh, synthetic alternatives, again, we, we haven't dealt with at this guidance and we should be coming out with new guidance um, at the end of this year. And we are currently looking for brands and other innovators and any other organizations focus on that to partner with us. We're just about to launch that work. We haven't yet. We'll probably launch it in the next month. So I invite people to get in touch with me who are interested in um, petroleum-based uh, synthetics to get in touch. Uh, third, yep, third is water. Um, we talk about water stewardship and there's three components to that, of course, the quality, um, how we clean and, and keep the water recycled and in use, and then also use less. And then finally working on energy and how to, um, pressure in more renewable energy within the system uh, throughout the production. So that's what the guidelines cover. Um, I think there's one more slide perhaps, um, which is really focused on what I spoke about in the front of the presentation. No, we don't. Oh, great. Okay. Um, really what that was focused on was um, what I was talking about on continuous improvement and that what we've found in our learning is really around um, trying to define and, and provide clarity for the industry on what is credible and legitimate circular fiber so that the whole of the system is clean and that we get the system up and running. And that means an immense amount of collaboration, even more. I mean, this, this industry more than others has been uh, you know, more collaborative and has learned how to work together in a different way than in many other industries. But that the level of collaboration to make this kind of systems change is um, critical and intense. <laughs> and um, there needs an unprecedented amount of funding to make it happen, um, not only to develop clean and, and circular fibers and materials, but to make all the connections throughout the supply chain is gonna take um, a lot of investment and a little bit of um, offloading some of the risk between the different systems because there's a lot that we have to do to make it happen. So thank you. Thank you so much, Vareen. Yeah, excellent. We'll come back with additional questions, no worries. Um, <laughs> and moving to also uh, the presentation of uh, Carla, uh, just, keeping a thread in the conversation. So we've covered a great initiative building more alignment to scale up circularity. Um, and that's really, really, really critical in the space, given especially the kind of technical complexity we are addressing here. And now we are moving to another angle of the equation that is extremely uh, important, resources, finance. Um, so Carla, um, 
welcome and really delighted to have you as part of this conversation, sharing your very, very interesting um, uh, perspective. Um, Thank you, Farid. It's wonderful to be here. And um, I appreciated, Sasha, your uh, speech. I always love listening to what the work you are all doing. So it's um, my pleasure. Great to be here. Tell us more about um, Alenti Capital and um, how you are addressing, uh, exploring the um, investment in um, secularity. Sure, absolutely. So um, my name is Carla Mora. I'm the founder and managing partner of Alante Capital. Um, I started this company about four years ago with my business partner, Leslie Harwell, um, really to help to influence a systemic change within the apparel industry. Um, not looking at investing in the next brand, the next sustainable brand, but really what are the tools required in the back end that can enable all the brands and the suppliers and actors across the supply chain to really produce in a more responsible way that is at the intersection of both sustainability and profitability. So um, you can go to the next slide. I can speak from there. So really Alante Capital, we invest in innovative technologies that can enable a resilient and sustainable future for apparel production and retail. Um, coming into this, uh, we were really interested in looking how climate change and other big macroglobal economic changes would affect industries. And as I was doing due diligence at another fund I was at um, on an innovation in apparel, I came to see that there was huge opportunity in the apparel industry due to the kind of input constraints that were happening and were going to only increase uh, as our climate continued to change. Not knowing that a few years down the road, we would be in a global pandemic and it would only show even more the need for the kinds of tools that would enable more nimble production, a more um, emphasis on your digital channels to figure out how to decrease on waste there, looking at diverse inputs, um, et cetera. So we'll dive into the types of companies that we invest in, but really just from a higher level understanding, this is why we, we got started. We really thought, okay, you know, as consumers, we love sustainable fashion, but it's a lot to ask the industry to be better and be sustainable and do it right if they don't have the tools to do that. This industry has been around for a long time and it's gonna take some time to be able to really transform. So that's where we come in. Um, we're here just as an enabler to help the new startups and innovators meet the brands and retailers that they need to be able to go to market and scale their technologies. And we come in with um, both advisory work connections to brands as well as the early stage capital. So um, we invest across a variety of technologies and business models, which we'll go into more on the next slide, but high level, it's new materials. Oh, you can go back. Um, well, yeah, new materials, uh, consumer and enterprise software, clean technologies, et cetera. And that allows us to build a risk adjusted portfolio that can be within the confines of the venture capital fund. So we have a 10 year fund, you know, that we're in the start of our second year. Um, we, you know, are expecting to have exits from our technologies within five to seven years of each investment um, at a multiple that makes sense for a VC fund. So within those confines, um, we're obviously limited in the types of projects that we can invest in. But that was very intentional on my behalf when we were starting this out. We really believe that uh, we could find and identify technology that could be scalable enough and compete 
on whether it's cost or quality or both, a way that could actually replace the incumbent technology and just be the way that business is done. And so having that kind of larger scale um, requirement in the types of companies we're investing in enabled us to build a venture capital um, backed pipeline. So that's one side of, of what we're doing. And the other side of the information on this slide talks a little bit about how we're making sure that those companies are truly viable and, and solving real problems for the industry identified by the industry. So as kind of finance professional outsiders coming into this space, both my partner and I have background in um, supply chain reform, agriculture, a little bit in apparel, but really we are outsiders and we came in and we came in asking questions. What is it that you need to be able to produce more responsibly? What kind of technologies would help you meet those sustainability goals for 2030? Um, so early on, before we had a fund, we, we started partnerships with major apparel companies. Levi's Strauss was the first. Um, we also work with Gap Inc., VF Corporation, Karen Group, uh, a lot of uh, many large brands to help to understand what are their challenges and uh, what is their eagerness, aptitude, and ability to work with innovation to address some of those challenges? And from them, we, we learn, you know, do the innovations that we see compete on quality cost? Do they improve operational efficiency or enhance the customer experience? Really what we're looking for is can this technology truly be viable? Can it be scalable? And most importantly, can it replace its negative incumbent technology? And it doesn't have to compete on cost from day one, but we expect that it will be able to within a uh, timeline that makes sense for us. So it's usually about three to four years um, within its product category. Um, we also really look to see, does it integrate seamlessly into a company's operations or the supply chain? So with our type of capital as a micro VC fund, we're, we're really looking for technologies that um, kind of innovate on the input side and then can just drop into the supply chain. And I'll get some examples going there, but not something that will be grown in a lab um, and have to stay in a lab as it scales as that requires far more capital than and something that we could participate in. And we are also looking at what tools are available now because we're helping to kind of really push the apparel industry to take, take steps now to integrate these innovations. And so those that can actually drop into the supply chain that exists um, are able to do that. And then we also learn from our brand partners, what are the priorities um, in the near term, as well as you know, in, in years out when, when we got started, we were really looking across a variety of um, innovations, dye and new materials were two of them. And as we kind of dove in with our brand partners, we realized quickly that they were ready to work with new innovative materials and interested in dyes, but not quite ready to, to start working with them. This was a few years ago. Now we see more of them excited about looking at innovation on the dye space. So we take those priorities into account. Um, and then we facilitate engagement between the brands and the startups. So uh, we make those introductions. We um, help to really, we help the startups navigate the apparel industry, which can be huge and complex and confusing with you know, different brands having different exclusivity expectations. Um, we really kind of help our startups navigate that and find multiple partners that they can go to market with so that we can help them decrease, decrease the risk um, and the costs. And then we help them uh, with scale assistance to identify a tiered engagement plan for market ready innovations. So with brands 
Um, and we do this in a, in a more in-depth way now than when we started, but we help them actually drive these technologies to market. And with the technologies, we help bring in outside capital. So let's go to the next slide, please. So this is um, a little map that we find handy that kind of tracks the types of innovations that we track. And um, you know, this kind of evolves as the industry evolves, but it's primarily, the, it, it, we take a circular approach to the industry. So what you'll see here is both the supply chain, but also looking at when the technology or the product um, reaches the customer and then ultimately how is it recovered? How is it recycled and brought right back into production? So how we really break it down, we look at raw materials, uh, dyes, processing and finishing chemistries. We look at innovation in cut and sew. How can we design for zero waste? How can we right size production? We look at inventory management. Um, how can we be making the right size product for the customers that we have? Um, how can we look at shipping and packaging and start to decrease our negative footprints there with more innovative or more efficient systems. We look at recycled packaging solutions. We look at um, fit technology here right now. That's really important as every brand is now forced to engage more with their e-commerce channel more than ever. Um, we're really looking at what are the tools that can help them convert browsers to buy, but then also enable those buyers to keep the, the products that they're selling and not return them. So we look at fit technology, um, we look at supply chain logistics and, and transparency technologies. Um, on the sale and retail side, we're really excited about some circular business models, looking at rental and resale. Um, and then ultimately on the recycling side, we're excited about both the platforms that help companies access um, dead stock material or resale on products or uh, materials before they've been made into products, but then also um, in the chemical recycling technologies that will be required to really enable circularity. So this pipeline um, has enabled us to build a, a database of over 200 early stage companies that fit within this thesis. And as you see, none of these are brands, but really the, the technologies and products that brands would require to be able to uh, produce in a more responsible way, as well as the tools that consumers require to be able to find these types of new sustainable materials and brands. Um, so I can speak to a couple examples here. On the raw material side, mango materials, that was our very first investment. We did that um, late 2019. We invested in their Series A round uh, alongside two major apparel companies um, and a number of other outside investors. I'm on the board there. We're very excited about them. Um, Mango Materials produces a biodegradable um, polyester fiber alternative made from methane, waste methane-based PHA. Um, that's uh, it's for us, it's a, it's a key new fiber that's going to really enable us to, as an industry, address our microfiber pollution issue, but also look at how the synthetic side of um, blended materials that Sasha was talking about can um, be either recycled or biodegrade. So this is a, an exciting technology. We've helped them grow in the early years to build their initial plant so that they are able to produce enough to be able to go to market with a couple of brands, um, which will unlock a, a great deal of additional capital to begin to scale early, uh, later this year, early next year. Um, so we can speak to that maybe in the questions or if I get time to kind of how we help drive additional capital in 
Um, but that's an example of the company we've invested in already. Cirque down on the circular recovery side is another that's a recycled, uh, a chemical recycling company that recycles down blended garment waste and recovers both the polyester uh, monomers to, and uses them to be able to make a new, bio, uh, a new recycled poly, but from old clothes as opposed to plastic bottles. And the cotton becomes the pulp that goes into man-made cellulosic fiber production. They have a, a clean closed loop system that we're really excited about. Warnigan Technologies is another um, technology that does something similar that's based in Europe. We're very excited about them too. Um, that's in the garment recycling space. There's a number of these that are starting to come out. We're thrilled about that. Um, we have so much waste that needs to be feedstock that we're really happy to see that this is starting to get addressed in a feasible way. Um, and then our third investment that we've made so far is in Lizzie over on the sales and retail side. And that is a backend um, software and logistics platform that enables rental for brands and retailers. Um, so let's go to the next slide, please. So uh, I, I already spoke to this a bit, but our approach is really to partner with the industry to ensure that we are investing in the tools Kind of the best in class technologies across each category um, in ones that can truly be viable and scalable solving their problems. So we look, can it be cost competitive or does it provide new revenue streams? Um, rental and resale are exciting for brands as it can help to open up their products to new markets, to younger consumers often and create additional revenue revenue streams also helps become a avenue for unsold inventory um, and allows them to kind of stay with ownership over the rental and resale space, which has so far not happened um, as those two areas have boomed in the market. Um, as I guess now's a good time to say, so we think about sustainability and circularity slightly differently um, than others. We're not looking just at sustainable fibers. That's where it started. That's where my passion really began within the apparel industry. But we look at it more holistically to say, yes, once we make this sustainable product with the best fiber, with the best finishing chemistries and best, how can we make the right amount? And how can we get it to be worn as many times as possible and not die in the back of your closet or just be worn once? Take a more holistic approach to sustainability and circularity, enabling us to help provide our brand um, and industry partners with, with a broader uh, kind of portfolio of tools that can help them address sustainability. And, and some of them enable them to actually get additional revenue right away, which helps them be able to get approvals through their um, various departments and actually get going on um, moving forward towards sustainability goals. So let's go to the last slide and then make sure there's room for questions. Yes. And, um... Yeah. Well, sometimes to my and um, group discussion and a few a lot of questions coming as well. Okay, great. So this um, is really just kind of a symbolic slide. This actually gets evolved constantly as there are more exits and more IPOs in the space. But what we're showing here is really that what we're looking at these types of investments, even though they can massively increase the sustainability of the apparel industry and enable circularity, these are great business opportunities and they have real exciting exit opportunities um, for investors that come in early. And so with our very specific level of expertise and our advisory board of apparel industry experts, we're able to help bring in outside capital that might not completely understand the opportunities in apparel, we help to drive them in um, by sharing our due diligence and our network. 
So um, this all to say is kind of where we stand in the finance space is while we are impact investors, we are very much also venture capitalists that expect um, really truly scalable technologies with good returns. So I'll stop there and see if anyone has any questions for me. Well, transitioning to Sadumaya, a question um, would be uh, uh, to explore how you are working on um, um, life cycle analysis or assessments um, to ensure that what you want to promote and substitute is overall for the better. I know you kind of yeah. back in there. Absolutely, that's really important. And when we were looking into mango materials and looking at um, PHA-based fiber, synthetic fiber alternatives, we were looking at kind of life cycle assessments on sugar and corn-based PHA versus waste methane-based PHA. And the LCA, if it's using sugar and cotton or corn, it's so much worse, it performs so much worse that it's hard for a brand to incentivize their um, across departments to actually take the investment risk of moving into a different fiber that performs so much worse than regular polyester. Whereas waste methane-based PHA, um, it can actually be carbon negative depending on where you're shipping from and often carbon neutral. So we, um, we lean on our apparel company partners and, uh, and experts that are on our advisory board um, looking at different LCAs. We, we receive the LCAs from our apparel company or the, from the innovators, um, they have to get external parties that do them for them. And so we're able to kind of look at that. We invest um, also alongside a variety of brands, including Patagonia and Adidas, who um, also go into depth about um, that side of, of it. That make that the LCA and the sustainability side is truly going to actually be beneficial, and that we're not going to see some sort of negative externality a few years down the line when the technology is wildly successful. Brilliant. Need to move and uh, ensure that Satomaya can also share perspective. Thanks so much, Carla. We'll come back with a few group discussions and questions. Satomaya, welcome. Um, as I mentioned earlier, to maintain a, a thread in our discussions, uh, one of the key levers to uh, increase uh, circularity is clearly this capacity to create a kind of uh, uh, market, um, market platform and in that sense, connect offer demand and ensure that there is an ecosystem that can be built. Welcome and share your perspective of your operating uh, with um, the Finnish industry. And I must uh, say that myself, I worked a lot with Finnish companies and I, I, I think very highly of, um, of the work and the initiatives coming from Finland. So we're, we're really delighted to have you with us. Thank you, Farid. I'm really excited to join today. So uh, my name is Satu Majemäki and I work as a chief advisor of sustainability and circular economy in Finnish Textile and Fashion Association. And I will start by telling you a few words about our organization and our work on the circular economy of textiles. So our organization is 150 years old, central organization for textile clothing and fashion companies in Finland. We have almost 200 member companies and uh, these members produce, for example, clothing, home textiles, sportswear and outdoor apparel. But as we all know, the textile sector is much wider than only clothing and uh, apparel. So our members also produce industrial non-wovens uh, as well as uh, technical textiles. And we are 
uh, industry association. So our goal is to ensure that the, our member companies have a beneficial business environment and the circular economy has been one of our focus areas. And systemic change is something that, that we can cannot avoid. And we see that the Finnish companies have a lot to give in this sector. And uh, so I'm really happy that I have an opportunity to present some of these solutions for you today. So you can move on the next slide, please. Uh, Finland is a small country in the nor Northern Europe, and we have a long history of forest industry and uh, development of a different kind of bio-based products. And also Finnish textile sector has done for a long time a high quality research and uh, development for new ecological textile fibers and uh, recycling solutions. But I don't want to focus only on the recycled materials because we need a systemic change for the current system. And a few years ago, we stopped to think why these solutions, what we have, they are not available yet. And is there something that, that is missing? And we gathered all the researchers and the key players from circular value change together and started to build a national ecosystem around the circular textiles and we call it Telaketju, and it's the name of the Finnish circular textile ecosystem and it comes from the Finnish words textile recycling sorting and utilizing network and this network includes all the researchers textile companies end of life textile collector municipal waste management uh, sorters charity organizations and also the companies who can process textile waste for a new commercial use. And what I see very special in this Finnish uh, ecosystem is the openness. We have somehow we have managed to bring all the key actors from the circular value chain together and share their they they share all the knowledge that that they have and uh, we know that the separate textile collection will become mandatory in eu by 2025 and in finland it will start already two years earlier but but that's not a challenge because we already have the this ecosystem and the process ready for the circularity and actually this is something that offers Finnish companies a lot of opportunities to build a new collaborations by sharing this knowledge that that we have and uh, offering the circular solutions to others and there's a link where you can find more information about this ecosystem so you can move on the next slide please Here you can see three concrete solutions from Finnish, from Finnish companies. And um, 
these are not the only ones, but why I picked this is because these are already or almost on the commercially available. So first I would like to present Infinity Fiber, who is the company, they have developed a technology that can turn a post-consumer textile waste into a new circular textile fiber. They have focused on the cotton-rich textile waste, but the technology is flexible also on the wide range of other cellulose materials. And what is special in their technique, all the non-cellulosic particles are cleaned out in their process, so they can handle also example mixed materials that include polyester or elastine and also the dyes are cleaned out and uh, their technology is ready and proven so it gives viscose factories the sustainable alternative and the possibility to change for a new more sustainable fiber and a safer process by getting rid of the uh, carbon disulfide and what's also unique in their technology is that the fibers can be recycled in the same process again after the use and the new recycled fibers are just as good as the original. So more information about the technology and its availability you can find straight from their website. And then other example is Spinova. They are also offering a new sustainable material alternative for textile industry, but their material is made of wood. And idea comes straight from the nature and the technology is imitating spiders way to produce their web uh, and uh, with Similar technology, Spinova produces textile fibers from wood-based materials uh, mechanically without using any harmful chemicals. And they have focused on focused to use uh, pulp, but the technology can be used almost any other cellulosic biomass as well. And also their fiber can be upcycled in their process again after the use without losing the quality properties. And also from their solution, you can, you can read more uh, about the technology and uh, their collaborations from their websites. And the third example, which I picked up is the, the pure waste. And um, they manufacture and sell yarns, fabrics and garments made from 100% recycled materials. And uh, this may sound, may sound a more common solution, but because they are, their operation is based on the collecting and the recycling cutting waste from textile industry. But what's unique is that their products are made of 100% recycled fibers meaning that not any virgin materials or dyeing 
needs to be used. So they sort all the materials by quality and the color. And so the color of the waste defines the color of the new final product. And the batches are mechanically opened into fibers and mixed with chemically recycled polyester. And then the fibers are spun, spun into yarns like in any other spinning processes. And I think that was my <laughs> brief presentation. Uh, where does the Finnish textile sector stand right now on circularity? Thank you. No, that's very, very, very important and uh, great input uh, that shows. Uh, and I will connect then to make sure that we stick to, to as much as possible to the time that we have to kind of a brief group discussion with one question I would like to ask to uh, each of our um, intervener today. Um, but just before I do that, just two brief um, practical elements uh, coming my way in terms of question. One, of course, all the content here will be shared uh, afterward uh, by email and um, accessible on the website. Um, the question has come many times. Second, there is a poll that is in the way. Please respond. I can see that. Um, or less half of the uh, of people here have um, responded right now. So um, make sure to uh, respond to the three questions for the, the remaining question, uh, the, the time that we have. It's very helpful. And uh, thanks so much because the satisfaction seems to be pretty high and that's, 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 um, that's good for the team working on that. Um, brief question for um, our panelists. I would just get back to Sasha with one question at the end of the day, exploring a lot of what's coming uh, my way. Question number one, choose your battles. Um, so now that the guideline is developed, what would be the priority areas where you would love and you believe that the guideline has high potential for, um, uh, for transformational change, I would say, in, the, in some of the, of the fibers? What would be the, the priorities? That would be a question for you. And of course, other interveners can also intervene if, if, if they have a different opinion or they want to add to that. Uh, thank you, um, Farid. I, I think it's a great question because it does. <laughs> I love your number one on choose your battles because it's very hard for us to stick to just one thing like the guidelines um, because there's so much to do. So for us, um, one is to obviously get more of the community and the industry to know the guidelines and give us feedback and take them up. We've gotten an amazing amount of um positive feedback, as well as how do we work on these to make them um, even more relevant for more fiber, fibrous, you know, fiber areas. Hold on. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so uh, one, take them up, tell us how difficult, how easy it is to enable them because they will be improved year on year. <coughs> then it increasing the take up of these new fibers into the supply chain. That's our next big focus area. And we're actively now engaging in not only funding, but those partners in the chain to take up innovative fibers, for instance, that Carla is investing in um, and others to be able to be scalable within um, the existing system and to start turning the system into um, a circular one. Just curious if, um, from your perspective, Carla, you, you would agree or um, you would think that uh, uh, um, you would have a different perspective on the priority fibers uh, 
that could make sense. And I would connect that to the other question for you also on um, invest innovative model. What would be your one piece of advice I would say for investors interesting in this space where there really is an interesting potential and to uh, be respectful of the, um, that would be a space that potentially is either of interest for you or not, by the way, a space you think is promising, but not a space you really want to address yourself. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, there's a lot of areas that are exciting to us and for us as a fund managers, it's important we take a diversified approach to fund creation. So we can't be only investing in new materials or only in digital solutions. It's really that balance um, that we need as fund managers, but also that I believe that the apparel companies need to be able to um, take steps forward in whichever capacity the companies are ready to go. So not everyone's able to fund R&D for new materials, but some can you know, use a digital solution. So we like to provide options across the board. I'm really personally excited about areas to decrease dependence on synthetic fiber. So looking at um, kind of natural inputs to fibers that can be high performing yet biodegrade. Um, we're looking at some natural fibers that are able to be um, kind of compounded through chemistry to act like a more of a synthetic fiber, but still be a natural. That's an area that I personally have interest in. I'm also really excited about dyes um, and trying to address the environmental challenges in that space. That's just from my personal, um, and recycling is also very exciting. We, I'm very happy with the company that we did invest in, but we're looking at more of the ecosystem. How are we gonna manage sorting and collection beyond um, just recycling? And so that's an area that I'm also excited about. Excellent. And um, just Carla, as you're, uh, you're there and uh, other speaker interveners will share their perspectives as well. Point number three, boost collaborations. Actually, I would change a little bit the angle that we had initially to address some questions about the balance um, between kind of what is driven by LCA and um, good understanding of the environmental analysis, but to expand that to the human right considerations. There are questions coming in that space mm -hmm. to ensure that there is, um, or it's work in progress, I don't know, it's, it's really an open question. Um, some consideration in that space, um, and maybe um, actually Satumaya, that can potentially be um, a question you might address given that you, you haven't shared um, perspective so far, or you kind of try to take that into account and that can be uh, interesting to get Sasha's and Carla's perspective on that as well, if, if they want. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I may be missed the question. Can you repeat it? For human rights, for example, working conditions and child labor and those kind of conditions, investing or uh, ensuring that uh, we promote the right uh, circular solutions. And, um, oh, <laughs> this is a, such a huge area. Um, and I think we, we should always consider both both the environmental and the social part of the sustainability. And uh, I don't see that that these are the that that it's the what is the challenge to to for that? Maybe maybe others can help <laughs> help because <laughs> I'd be happy to speak to that. This is Carla. Um, 
Yeah. So that's something that we thought a lot about starting out and we thought, okay, do we just work on supporting small emerging sustainable brands that, um, and are, are addressing all those areas or do we work with kind of the leaders in the space that have been around a long time and do a lot of things wrong. And for me, that was what I wanted to focus on because we needed to really provide the tools to get them to start doing things right. And um, so for us, including like human rights abuses, that's not something we go and talk to them about, but it is something that we expect um, they continue to get caught and it puts pressure on them to do things better. And that's, that helps to um, create an even greater market for these new innovations, these new materials. If you're talking about materials in India, I see in the comments um, that are already done right, but from smaller producers, we're excited about platforms that help provide them market access. And so there are innovations we look for that are helping brands to find um, these kind of smaller, more nimble producers um, around the world and be able to access those um, products that they have. Uh, so I think really it's not, a, you know, for us, it's like we want to be able to support the companies to take to be better because that's how we see change happen as opposed to um, kind of shutting them out from the process of progress. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Maybe follow up questions. And I can just speak to the guidelines. So I had alluded to the fact that there is a fifth pillar actually of the guidance. And one of the things that we couldn't do within the time frame was deal with the social fairness pillar, which was what is the fifth pillar because we needed a completely different set of stakeholders to feed into that. And particularly it's difficult at the part of the supply chain we're focused on, which is that innovative materials. And so how do we understand not only what's required for those, um, that, that particular level. So what do we need to have the innovators actually show whether they're abiding by social fairness principles, whether you're taking, you know, whichever kind of code of conduct you want, but then what, how do we understand the UN guiding principles on business and human rights to account for either down to the raw materials and um, regenerative farming? And how do we um, assess that since that's using, it, since we're using existing standards and auditors, evaluators, how do we leverage what's taking place there? But then also once we do get into yarn and mill manufacturers, how do we account for that? So there um, is a way for us to build our leverage into the guidelines around social fairness. And that's also something that we've committed to uh, releasing this year. Thank you so much. We must really stick to uh, the format as much as possible. It's, it's a one hour podcast. Normally the conversation is very dense. I just want to thank you all for your uh, your contributions um, and just moving to our practical next steps. Uh, thanks for contributing to the poll for many of you. Uh, all this content will be uploaded. Um, upcoming uh, similar webinars um, um, displayed on the screen right now. Um, and actually it's, um, it connects with kind of those closing points on, um, on the traceability and capacity building solutions um, that can be part of the next webinar scheduled in March. And, um, in the, and then later on, on the human rights uh, legally binding instruments to date. So it's <laughs> interesting, but um, just um, uh, what's, uh, it's coming for the upcoming months. If you wanna stay tuned with our, um, uh, our webinars. Um, it's uh, a pleasure to welcome you all in this discussion uh, today. And I, if uh, we had been able to be um, in a, 
in a room all together. That would have been a pleasure to um, uh, to close this uh, very interesting discussion with um, um, a more of um, a drink or something. Um, but the pleasure of the webinars is also to enable each of you to close the webinar now, share with uh, colleagues and hopefully um, found that inspiring to make sure that you can apply what you've learned here. And I need to, to thank you all for your contribution. Thank you so much, Sasha, Carla, Satsumaya. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.